The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to issue 172 of Super Skull. It's your weekly New Comic Day audio digest for the week of December 21st, or maybe the 20th. My name is Nick Weibar. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm here also with Curtis Sullivan. What's happening, gentlemen? And Marcus Schwimmer. Hello, Nick. Hello, Marcus. Hello, Nick. I know that you're working on your uh, your your reply to the podcast greeting. Yeah, I've been listening to like a number of episodes just to try to up my game for the new year. Of Super Skull. Of Super Skull, yeah. yeah. And I realize that whenever you you say, and, and Marcus- Can I do it? Can I do what you do? Yeah, of course. Here, you introduce me. And here's uh, Nick Wybar. Hello. Yep. It, yep, it's that or good day. Yeah. One of the two, and I'm going to try to mix it up a little bit. Now- So today I started with- Hi, Nick. I like it. Yeah. I think it was kind of like- and That was hi, what you just said. You said, hi, Nick. Hi, Nick. Okay. I think it's good. I think you have like a, you have like a call sign. You have like a, there's some things that you say. Yeah. There's some things that you say yeah. that, that other people don't say. But you two have slowly started to adopt my sayings. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. It's totally true. Yeah. Shit. It's totally true. I say all righty in my everyday. That that's I, and true. that's and that's some shit that I never said because that's some stupid shit to say. You'll agree, Curtis. Oh, super dumb. And now I say it all the time. Like I'll just mm. be pausing in between tasks and I'll be like, "Alrighty, <laughs> out loud." <laughs> Thanks yep. a lot, Marcus. Thanks. You're you welcome. Marcus. I will hear Nick crack off occasionally. The. I do that every day. Something will be just puzzling the brain and just, and then it just goes. Whatever's shit. there, it's either. You've both infected my mind in ways that I'm not 100% comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. I don't love it. We don't have time for this shit. We got a full show. We Let's got get full to show. it. Right. We got our, our top five board games of the year. We got some in the news. We got some big picks. And I have a gift for both of you. That's just a little hint of what's to come. Wow. Let's do some in the news. Marvel has recently announced that they are canceling six comic book series. Marvel and DC and all comic book companies cancel books from time to time. Literally constantly, constantly. all the time. But uh, there's there's something about this list that really caught my eye. So the books they're canceling are Generation X, America, The Unbelievable Gwenpool, Luke Cage, Defenders, and Hawkeye. Here's my thing. Yeah. Marvel should absolutely be thinning its books right now. It puts out a ridiculous amount of books. And I think it actually hurts them. How many comic books they put out? How many comic books do they put out? A lot. You don't on, know. On an average month, it's between a nine, 90 and 100. That's mm-hmm. a, lot a lot of, of comics. That's a lot of comic books. Mm-hmm. I was really hoping to put Marcus on the spot Thanks there. for the back. Oh, I there, saved man. you. No, yeah. I really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're my, you're you my have no bricks. clue. So I think that maybe them thinning the herd a little bit would be good. Really focus people in on their gems. So uh, Unbelievable Gwenpool, great. I think that's a great book to get rid of. Generation X, you bet. No problem. What? Don't get rid of some of your best books. So, America features the character America Chavez. Yes. One of Marvel's only Hispanic superheroes. Don't get rid that's a and on top of that, it's a great book. Don't get rid of that book. The internet also loves that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, asked I was I asked the internet the other day and yeah. they, like super into it. I I believe it's a great book. Luke Cage Defenders. Luke Cage is a great book right now. Great comic. 
And I wish it had better art. That, that is a great comic book. It's a book. good book. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think thinning's a good thing, but maybe maybe get rid of Edge of Venomverse. Before Man, Edge of Venomverse sells, be, though, baby. Before you drop America. The Edge of Venomverse moves units. I don't think it does. It's not it's not it's not moving a lo- as many units as we'd like. <laughs> that's for sure. So, you, I I I think they should thin. This is what I'm going to do. This is my end of my thing. It's good to thin. It's good to thin. Did you read uh The Art of Tidying Up? No, you I haven't. You take each Marvel. Take each title and hold it in your hands. Take America and hold it in your hands and say, "Does this give me joy?" And if it doesn't, and you cancel it, and yeah. send lots of people are out of work. <laughs> Yeah, I I just was very surprised by that. Hawkeye in America, Luke Cage in particular. Um, those are all really good books. So all these books are smaller sellers in, in our comic book shops, but they're steady sellers. America does very, very well. Hawkeye? Hawkeye, that's what I was getting to, is not only a good, consistent selling comic book, I think it's it's just one of Marvel's best comic books. It's really good. Every single time I read an issue of that comic book, I'm like, holy shit, I'm glad this comic book exists. That's a big bummer for me on this list. I do like Luke Cage. Some of these other books are really nice. But we were talking about this earlier. Like, man, maybe if a book is breaking even, if you got a fan base, if you're serving kind of an underrepresented group or, you know, something like this, maybe bite the bullet and Marvel just put out a book that maybe isn't making you a lot of money. Sure. And just leave it out there. These are all also, like, newish books that are focused on maybe not white dudes as the main character, exactly. as I'm looking at this whole list. There's a lot of um, creators of color also. C- creators of color, creators of, uh, you know, a lot of lady creators on this list. That's a bummer, man. It's a mm-hmm. huge bummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially because- I thought this news was bullshit. The most interesting thing to me about this news was that, like, it got picked up by, like, Entertainment Weekly. Like, I was reading about this shit on just, my, like, a normal news feed, which was crazy to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I found it on Hollywood Reporter. That's what Weird. I'm saying. Like, that that's is crazy. That's very, very strange. But now the more I think about it, like, yeah, there's a theme running through all of this stuff, and it's all, like, not legacy Marvel characters. Right. Are it, all the books that are getting canceled, it, which does suck. Marvel's come out and said, like, these some of these books don't fit into our our legacy movement yeah. that we're having right now. And while I've liked some of your legacy books, Marvel. Marvel came out and said that? Yeah. Where did they say that? It's in the article. Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> It's in the Hollywood Reporter article. Thank you. That's what I was you're getting You're welcome. At. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I get that you're doing this legacy thing, and I respect it. Some of these books have been pretty good, but um, you're being an asshole at the same time by getting rid of some of these books and some of your uh, not-white-dude creative teams because there, there are people who look forward to these books, and I don't believe that you're not making money on them. So, Well, here's the thing. Marvel, holler at your dudes next time you need a, to do a culling. And, you know, we'll, we'll let call. you know. I, I'd be happy to call. You don't even have to pay me. I'll do it for free. 100% pro bono. We'll help you out. Yeah, you want to know what's, what sucks? I'll tell you what sucks. I'll do, yeah. I'll do Edge that. of Venomverse. Edge, there you go. Edge, edge, we stop talking shit about Edge of Venomverse. <laughs> it's not good. It's, I love that book. <laughs> you no, know you don't. It's so much better than Venomverse. Because <laughs> it's on the it's edge. It's just right on the cliff. It's right on the edge. It's right on the cliff. Yep. All right, I got some news, too. Nick, Nick got news? And it's the numbers. Let's do the numbers. It's another month of declines in the comic book industry as we close the books on November. But it was the second best month of the year. 
Lovely. Yeah. The second best worst? What does that mean? Second best. Got it. Not best worst? What? Second best month of the year. Okay. It's the. Don't ask me what the first month best month is. Still in decline, though. Well, it was another month of declines. 5.8% down as it happens overall compared to 2016. And we're comparing bad on bad at this point because November is really when things started to look pretty shaky la- in 2016. Correct. And we're 5.8% down from that shaky-ass November. So that sucks. Though graphic novels saw a modest increase, nearly 3%. 2017 is currently sitting at a shade under 10% down from the previous years. But it's always December, right? Yeah. Right? December? Right? Uh Uh-huh. There's no way. The big news for the comic book industry last month was DC basically closed the gap on Marvel's market share. That is gigantic. Narrowing it. We're talking about the two biggest publishers in the world are within one percentage point of market share of each other, according to November sales. Which is pretty crazy. Is that DC going up that much or Marvel coming down? A little it's bit both, of both? It's both of those things. Okay. DC had a great month. DC's performance in November almost completely accounts for the, the having a pretty good month, having the second best month of the year. They nabbed eight out of the top ten slots for best-selling single issues, and it's all just Batman and Doomsday Clocks as far as the eye can see. That just makes sense. One after the other after the other after the other. The number one and two selling titles were the regular and lenticular covers for Doomsday Clock. They were incredibly well received. Have I mentioned on this podcast, I don't know if I have, that if Doomsday, the bad guy from Superman, shows up at the end of Doomsday Clock, that I fucking quit comics? You know it's well, going to I think you, you know should prepare yourself happen. for the worst. I, I fucking wanna, the best. You, you want to become a Lance Surveyor? I'm here for you. I quit this podcast. <laughs> I quit the comic shop. I'm, I'm fucking done. You know if, Doomsday's coming out of that clock. If that's the last thing that happens is Doomsday Clock strikes midnight and Doomsday comes out, I'm not, you're, ne- you're never going to see. Well, me he's again. gonna. It's going to be a giant doomsday clock, and the last page is it's going to hit midnight. Yeah, and he's going to bust out of the clock, <sighs> game show style. Yeah, absolutely. That's what's <sighs> happening. I'll give you a job, Spoiler buddy. Don't alert. worry. Anyway, that's that's the numbers for November. I love. I mean, it's great that DC is like climbing up a little bit to gain Marvel, but that's some grass is greener shit, man. Well, to be to be down on last year's <laughs> November is it's not a good sign. Like I know. I know we're trying to stay optimistic for December, but there were some great books last month. and uh, I have a very zen approach to the sales numbers in the comic book industry. Which right is? Now. Tell we're, us more. we're stronger now than we were five years ago. The market is stronger now. Last year was a crazy year. Best year ever. It was, 20 the, be- years. It was the best year ever. It was DC Rebirth. The market, it can't just go up and up and up and up. That's not how any industry works under any circumstances. And the declines that were down are still higher than where we were a few years ago. We're still having a better year this year than three years ago. Than so, even two years ago. Yeah. Maybe not Close? two years right ago. Right there? Okay. No, a little yeah. under that. But this is how an actual market works. It goes up and down. I think that there are things that the industry is doing that's not helping itself. I think I think the choices made are making it harder to grow the whole fucking pie. And we talk about that shit all of the time on this podcast. But Yeah. I just I see Marvel getting rid of some of these titles. And I see the market percentage still staying down, and I just don't think Marvel is... I just think it's the wrong reaction. Yeah, they're just not helping the situation at all. That's mm-hmm. the thing. You're, you're breaking new ground. It's going to get a little scary, Yes, everybody. Exactly. Be exactly. scared. Don't be scared, yeah. I should say. Do your thing. 
have faith in these good books and just keep plugging away. You know, well, and Marvel and DC both doubled down on the shit that they have been doing, and that's the most disappointing right. thing about 2017 to me. Even though they put out some good books this year. I'm not saying they didn't put out right. some good-ass superhero books this year. But because Batman has legitimately been on fire, it has been on fi- lots of you different know? and tons of Super Sons is great and yes, like you know yes. Doomsday Clock. Like I kind of like the first one. Like, there's cool shit having dark, even like Dark Knight's Metal is is fun. fun. It's stupid. Yep. It's fun. But that sh- it is some. Um, it probably is not what the Doctor ordered. If you're trying to like grow this past the core group of nerds that already read comics, Same, right? But it's a tough thing because we got we got Mister Miracle on the stands too. Right, you know, and that's we're one to, book though. It is, and we need more books like that. But even trying to get get that out there, you know, yeah, it can be difficult. So, when we've talked about this, this this is a good year for books. It's just it a great, um, it's a great year for comics. Getting people to care and and figuring out how to make it bigger is is the challenge. And providing a product that is appealing to everyone. Yes, and that's what worries me as we go into 2018. Yeah, is have we lost sight of that? Because the comic book industry could be totally accessible to every human being. Yep. But it seems like that ideology has been put to the side to really be like, we can't lose this core base. Yep. And that is a, is a scary business move. So I, as we go into 2018, uh, I'm a little skeptical about what those numbers are going to no, look don't, like. No, don't circle the wagon. That, circle the wagons. That yeah. Is, that's exactly move. what it is. Bad move. And that's what it feels like in a lot a little of bit. ways. It's yes. like- Man, we're bleeding up. We're bleeding here. We have to just double down on the dudes that we know, and I, the, literally the dudes that are going to be buying comic books, and yeah. w- at the exclusion of anybody else, which is kind of a bummer. This is the last time we're going to talk about numbers for 2017 because the year's almost up. But uh, yeah, it's been every single month we talk about a down month, and uh, there's no escaping it. It's a it's a huge bummer. But the medium is doing some of the coolest shit that it's ever done this year. So. Agreed. Come on, comics. Come on, December. Come on, comics. Come on, December. Come on, comics. Marcus is shaking his head. It ain't going to happen for December. Ooh. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm a dreamer. Now. I think the fact that Marcus called it so emphatically now means that we're going to have a pretty good December. <laughs> you know, if we if we just go on classic Marcus Whatever calls, gets you guys up to, you know? uh, to make it happen, go for it. Please. Hey, you two. Hey. It's our last show before Christmas. It's crazy, and you're not going to be here next week, Nick. I'm not going to be here next week. Going to old California, IA. I'm going to an undisclosed location in California. And, and you, you know where you're going this time, right? This isn't like a stranger's house or anything like this. This is like, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you're what not I mean? going to randomly. Think, I think break I got in. it this time. Hey, you guys. Yeah, Nick. I I got you both a gift. You got us a gift. I did. A I, physical gift that's here now? It's it's here now, but it's in your email. I'd like you to, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'd like you to both open up your email. Okay. It's if open. you could, you got your phones on you. I do. I don't know how my email or my phone works. Let me just get mm, it I was afraid there. of this. I was afraid this okay, might happen. I, I see it. I, I see, see it. it. Okay. So go uh-huh. ahead and open that and just go ahead and download that to your phone. It's an app for your phone. Let's give it a hard Wait, install. What are we, what, what is happening it's right a gift. Now? It's a gift from me. Okay. Is this a, is this a gift that we want? That's my question. So this is um, this app. Um, once Tracks it's installed on your phone, um, it sends you notifications, and you're going to have to go ahead and allow notifications what? on your phone. And it reminds you five times a day that you're going to die. Are you, Are you serious? Yeah, I don't want this app. You do. So it, <laughs> what? It, and it ha- and it's at random <laughs> intervals between I think seven a.m. and ten p.m. or something like that. Okay, it's and ins- it's just a little notification, and it says this is a reminder. You are going to die. 
If you click on it, if you open it up, it'll give you a little quote about death from somebody that's very, very smart, but that's it. It doesn't do anything else. It just allows you to like take a second out of your day. I love this thing. It take a second out of your day and just remember that whatever's stressing you out, whatever's going on in your day, yeah, it's you're, all you're, ephemera. It doesn't actually matter. Because you're going to die. Because you're going to die. Nick, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how to feel about this gift. It was. It cost me money. So you're both very, very welcome. Wow. Okay. Well, it's in process now. It's got a great little- Is it downloading? Little it's downloading. icon. Yeah. I'll give it that. Yeah. It's a very- The name of the app is We Croak. Yeah. It's a very aesthetically pleasing app. And we'll link to it in the show notes. So this, just, I just want to be clear because I'm a little bit shocked. Yeah. The gift you got me for the holiday season yeah. is an app- This is the only gift the, that I'm getting you for Christmas, yeah. by the way. I cannot stress that enough. That's good. I'm going to return yours right now. Um, the app is an app that is going to- Text me multiple times throughout the day. Five times. And just let me know that I'm going to die. Yeah, in Bhutan, there is a saying. There is a, there's a philosophy that in order to live a happy life, you have to think about death five times a day. You just have to remember the fact. This is, it, you have to keep that fact in mind, that this is all we have. This life is all we have. Yeah. Don't forget. Now, I'm terrified of death, though. This scares me. Really? Then, then this is perfect, and this is exactly what you need. Why Why five times? I don't know. Do we know? I don't know. Okay. Is this on your phone? It's on my phone. And I'll be. I'll just be going through my day, and I'll be so cranky about something. I'll be just be Ooh. like, "Oh, shit, really?" But somebody just did something that really bumped me out, and yeah. I'm really gonna. I'm gonna talk to that person. I'm gonna do like then. I'm a businessman, and then a little, <laughs> and then a notification <laughs> pops up on my phone and says, "Don't forget that you're going to die." Oh. And I just stop. And I'm just oh. like, oh, okay. You know what? You know That's what? That's true. Let's fuck off that. If who cares? Let's move on with my day. I am going to not go to work today. I'm going to take all my clothes off and <laughs> run down the street. <laughs> I think Curtis and I are going to have very different reactions to Zap. I'm going to like use it as a way to deal with my fear of death. Yeah. Because I have a legitimate fear of dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and Curtis is just going to go the opposite reaction. Be like, well, fuck it. Time to be naked yeah. all the yeah. time. Get that cheesesteak hoagie, Curtis. That's great. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a man of my advanced years, it's time I threw caution to the wind. Speaking of your advanced years, you, know? you just had a birthday, buddy. I did. Yeah, just like a few days ago. I aged a whole year in one day. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. How old are you? I'm the big four or five. 45. 45 years old. Did you do anything cool? I did. Well, you know, I worked all day, so that part's boring. But then I went home, and then me and my wife just made like... Two dinners. Didn't oh. have one dinner, two dinners. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I made like this awesome like sausage tacos, and then we made like a baked chicken. I don't know if we can keep this, but you started that sentence. But I didn't, we didn't do much. Me and my, my, my wife made two dinners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Then yeah, we just ate a lot of food and uh, watched Logan. Which it's made awesome. me cry. God, I forgot. Logan yeah. is a super sad movie. It's very sad. It's a real dad-ass movie, though. Yeah, it's a very dad movie. Yeah. So, Curtis, you're you're 15 years older than I am. Mm. If you could go back to 30-year-old Curtis and give him a, give him a little sentence of wisdom. Yeah, give us some uh, give us some wisdom, buddy. What is the wisdom you would? How can we do it you, better? What would you give to someone who's 30? Mm, How can mm-hmm. we do it good? Get get good people around you and exploit their talents. And by exploit, I mean it sounds like a negative, but I mean. Trust folks that you know, who that you're involved with, whether it's personally or in a business sense, to trust them, to do what they do, to know what they know, and contribute the way that they can, and and just let go. Let go. You know? That's good advice, man. So Let go and let Cthulhu. I think it's <laughs> exactly. A, I think it's important to 
realize that there are better there are people who know shit better than you. You can't you're not gonna know it all. Yeah. And everybody's got that cool cool tool set to bring to bear. Alright. That's all good right. a good yeah. piece of advice, man. There you go. That's Thanks, good buddy. shit. You're welcome, dudes. Hey you guys. Yeah. yeah. You're gonna die someday. Let's do our big picks. Every week, any number of people die and never see another gleaming moment of life. That's what I was going to say. All sorts of people die. Like, constantly. <laughs> I didn't know that this was the direction we were going to go in in this show, but I'm very, very cool with leaning into it. Yeah. Um, some of them have really cool headstones. That's true. And some of them say cool stuff on them and have cool jokes. That's like the ultimate power move is to like put a cool joke on your headstone. Like I why can't like. ghosts have babies? Because they have Halloweenies. That's what I want on the back of my headstone. Oh, that's right. The backside. Because it's topical, solid. right? Topical? Yeah. What do you think topical means? <laughs> it 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 the, you're dead and you're part of the underworld, so it's part of the same topic. It's topical. <laughs> that's right, right? Let's do some big picks. <laughs> Curtis, can we start with you? Oh, why not? Let's do it. What was your big pick? I feel like this was this was all of our <laughs> <laughs> topical. Hey, am I wrong? You're wrong. What does topical mean? Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> Go ahead, Curtis. Should we? Uh, no. All right. Uh, my big pick uh, was X Men Grand Design number one by Young Ed Piscor. Yeah. I feel like this was all of our big picks. This is our collective big pick. Hey, I love this book. It was the best. It was very good. Let's start by saying that Ed Piscor is like this really, really excellent. He's like an auteur. He's like an independent comic dude. He's most well known for this book called Hip Hop Family Tree. So Hip Hop Family Tree is all about uh, the history of hip hop. And Ed Piscor did this great thing where he went around and interviewed literally everybody that was alive and was able to talk to him about the history of hip hop. And he does in this really cool condensed way. So you're getting this you know, giant macro uh, history of this of this huge thing. Yes. He's doing that with X-Men. So wow. he's, he's taking 40 years of X-Men comics and he's condensing it into six 80-page comic books. Because X-Men be crazy. It's so bananas. X-Men, like it's 40 years of stuff. It's 40 years of monthly comics, right? And spinoffs and side series. Yeah. and but each issue of X-Men, pick an issue of X-Men, mm -hmm. especially early X-Men. Yes. Like, it is packed with in happenings. one issue. In one issue, the number of things that can happen in an issue of X-Men is fucking staggering. Yeah, you might have clones, time travel, uh, you know, multiple deaths, rebirths, new costumes in, in 32 pages. Well, yeah. like, early X-Men, too, would love to put two adventures in one book. Yeah. So, like, they'll go through, they'll solve a problem, book's not done yet, gotta fill the rest, and then they'll just go into a totally different plot line. Does that plot line take place right after the story you just read? Probably fucking not. So, you just trying to put it all together is insane. So, Piscor is, like, he's starting from... He's that's not starting from the beginning of X-Men. He's starting from the beginning of the story of X-Men. He's not going from X-Men number one. No. He's, he's going, going from, from before that. Yeah, like the fiction of X-Men, where would where did their story and begin? And mutants in general, even, in yeah. the Marvel Universe. Yeah. So this comic book ends 80 page later with X-Men number one, 1963. Right. Right? Which is totally wild, because the way he's... So we should also say that 
you know, X-Men and Marvel in general, we talk about this all the time, giant continuity. Everything's connected. Everything's this giant, huge 40-year story that's been going. Yeah. So thousands of writers, tens, twenties of thousands of pages of comics. And this is supposed to make sense. It's all supposed to be this one giant cohesive story. That's definitely not true. Yeah. But to Ed Piscor, it is. Yeah. This guy's a super fan. He's read all this stuff, and he is threading the needle through all of this and trying to make it into this, you know, yeah, tight-ish he, continuity. Into something digestible. Yes. Into something that is, like, works on its own. So, I mean, you could legitimately jump into this. And, and you, I think you're benefited by, like, knowing at least, any you know, anything about the X-Men, but... Like legitimately, you could just go in knowing nothing and and walk out with a working knowledge of like the basic history of X Men. Now, does he is he taking any liberties with any? He's got to be with some of this shit. Like like okay, so at one point in this book, Magneto takes Captain America's shield and knocks out a bunch of Nazis. Yeah. That shit never happened. It in, totally in did happen. happen. Shut the fuck up. Yes. Yeah. Did that really happen? That really yeah. happened. That's real shit. Yep. And did it happen? So, and this is the thing. Here's the liberties that he's taken from what I can tell reading this book and kind of reading people talking about this yeah. book. Some stories, are they... It didn't happen in the publication history in that order, but it no. got retconned in at some point. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe cool, is it a cool. side story or is it this or is it that? Yeah, it's a little yeah, aside yeah, yeah. that he like okay. works in. So, And it's dope. It's dope. Oh, because there's shit from 2008 that he's working into the right. pre yeah, yeah, X Men yeah, yeah. One continuity, which is real. It was written that way. Right. So that's the cool fucking thing about this is he's putting it in chronologically. Uh, it's wild. It's done in this old school. You know, it's printed on like this old school paper. A newspaper. Uh, newspaper. Newsprint. Press. Newsprint. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And that was a condition. Topical. Of- Topical print. I'm gonna fight you with my <laughs> mouth. <laughs> that was a condition of of Ed doing this book. He said it was Mar- newsprint? He's told Marvel, we have to do it on newsprint, and when it gets collected, it has to be treasury style. Yeah. That's which is so gigantic dope. old school treasury style. Yes. We- and that's the only way he would do it, and they agreed. Can we talk about this dude's use of the color white? Please. It's So one of the best things he does is he will use the whitest of whites. Imagine the brightest, cleanest white so that's, you've ever seen. And it stands out because on the newsprint, there's kind of like a sepia tone, kind of a uh, kind of a cream or beige. Absolutely, that is that is the default background color to everything, right? And it right. changes all the colors that are put on top. It of changes it. everything that's on top yeah. of it. So when he does a white, it's it's white white. It's so so dope. Really pops when he does it. It's it, not only that it pops. It just like if he uses it to frame shit. Yeah, which you don't see white used to frame because all the comics we read are white now uh white pages um it this is an absolutely visually stunning comic book yeah i love his style yeah it's an old school uh and he he credits himself at the beginning as ed piscor cartoonist mm-hmm. and i think that's a very very cool different differentiation you know he's not like a comic book artist or he's not just the artist he's a cartoonist and mm-hmm. claiming that i think is really really awesome this is a you know when we talk about kind of Marvel doing not as cool stuff as they should or or comic companies not taking risks. This is a book that Marvel needs to do more of this stuff. Well, so this is hearkening back. I mean, this is for fans of X-Men, though, in a lot of ways. This is, like, it does fit in with the legacy shit. This is the legacy of X-Men. We're reading it, it from is, the get-go, but right? it's, they didn't go get Jim Lee, or they didn't, do you know what I'm saying? They didn't try to make it flashy and mm-hmm. modern and do something like this. This is has a very specific, very 70s comic book feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're right. I think fans you know, who are already into Marvel will dig on this, but it might be able to reach outside uh, in a bigger way than I think some that would, you know. 
I, I give kudos to Marvel for giving this a shot. This that's, is a neat project. That's a dope comic book to give someone who just walked into your shop is looking for something to read. So that's what I'm thinking about because I get there are people that come in sometimes that are like, I want to read, I want to read a collection with X Men number one, and I'm yep. like, well, can I give you something else? <laughs> you probably don't want that. You probably actually don't want that. <laughs> I would give them this for sure. What's that voice? <laughs> I don't know if you want that. Yeah, you should. I I would give this to just about anyone who likes comic books. Yeah, it's, absolutely. If you're an old time comic reader like us, I think it's great and it brings you back a little bit of nostalgia. But the art is super dope. I think it's for anybody that has an interest in X Men. I don't know. I I think that, and that's a lot of people, and it could be it a sure lot is. more people. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's anyone who's into. Su- I think you could broaden it to superheroes. Okay, because the way that he collects this is unique. And it's a it's a project that I can't think of anyone else doing. Like going back and be like, I'm going to tell all of Fantastic Four in eight issues. So the story like that shit doesn't happen. No, and the craziest thing about this is Ed tweeted at Marvel, like, "Hey, I've already got this whole thing built in my mind and scripted out. Yeah. I've been drawing my own X Men comics since I was six years old. Do you guys want to do this comic book where I do this for real? Like for, that? That's like how for the... real? That's the story. Oh wow. He's that like happened on Twitter. Yeah, I think it was it was a tweet of some social media. I think it was Twitter though, yeah. where he like literally said, "Hey, Marvel, what's up? I uh, cool. Here's some stuff." So that's all of our big picks. X Men Grand Design number one is going to be two issues in this run, and there's going to be six issues in total. Three two issue miniseries. Yeah. Holy shit, it was very cool. Yeah, I got, I got some other shit I read this week, but X Men Grand Design that was that was the best thing. That I was a showstopper for real. Word. Can I go next? Yep. My pick this week. All right. All right. We're we're going to have to talk about this. Let's get into it. So my big pick this week was Marvel 2 and 1. But can we talk about the title of this book and what's happening on the cover of this book? Absolutely. Sure. So across the top it says Marvel Legacy Fate of the Four Part 1. And then over in the corner it's issue number 1. And then below that inexplicably a 2. Let's just move on from that for a second. Okay. And then we have the actual title of the book, Marvel 2 and 1. And then below that, in giant letters, we have The Thing and The Human Torch. So the name of this book, if I understand it correctly, is Marvel 2-in-1, The Thing and The Human Torch, number one, two, Marvel Legacy, Fate of the Four, part one. I think you nailed it. Does that sound right to you guys? Somehow you deciphered that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great book, though. It's a really great comic, but yes, that's a lot. That's, that's a stupid-ass cover. Yeah. Why don't, just call it 2-in-1, Marvel 2-in-1. Why is it called Marvel 2-in-1? Well, it's a throwback to Marvel 2-in-1. Yeah, I get that. Why do that? Why do that throwback? Two, two stories in one. I don't know. Don't do that throwback. <laughs> throw it. Throw it. Keep it forward. Throwback. Forward. Great comic book, though. Throw throw front. Uh, the But it's a great comic. So it's written by Chip Zdarsky. It's uh, drawn by Jim Chung. This is a little story about The Thing and the Human Torch, two members of the Fantastic Four. The other two members of the Fantastic Four, Reed and Sue Richards, and their kids, Valeria and Franklin, are at large. Where are they? We don't know. Are they dead? Could be. We just don't know. They're out in the multiverse, and which means they might as well be dead because that's in that's there's a lot there. There's a lot of shit out in the multiverse. They may never come back. It's completely endless. Mm -hmm. They're having crazy space adventures. They've been gone for years. They've been gone since 2014, 15? I think 2015. When did Secret Wars end? I want to say 2015. There you go. Since the end of Secret Wars. Rachel will correct us at some point, I'm sure. But since the end of the Secret Wars thing, we've had no Fantastic Four book. We've had no... We've had no... The characters have been split apart. Yeah, we had some Ben Grimm often... The Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. The Thing has been over there. Yeah. And then we got 
Johnny Storm, aka the Human Torch. Yeah, he's been hanging out over with Spider Man sometimes. Spider Man and the Inhumans. And the Inhumans. He's been yes. dating Medusa. He was dating Medusa. That's right. The Queen of the Inhumans. Yeah, she was. Hit, that was her rebound. That's yeah. right. From Black Bolt was little, little uh, boy toy. Johnny Storm. She was just like trying to figure her shit out. Yeah. So this is the thing. Opens up on him giving a speech. There, a new uh, foundation has been set up on behalf of Reed and Sue Richards, and the thing is there to kind of like inaugurate this award. And he says a little thing about not, you know, no pun intended, about the about this award and about what it means to be in the Fantastic Four and what it means to be into science or something. And it's really, really great. Um, and that is the point where my concerns about Chip Zdarsky fell away right at the very beginning of the book. Because I love the Fantastic Four, you guys. I agree with you. I got I got it bad for the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four. It's one of my favorite uh, superhero teams of all time. And I was not, when I saw Chip Zdarsky was doing Fantastic Four shit, I was not sold on it necessarily. It's not a book that you would commonly associate with him as a writer. Just because he's a funny dude. He's, he's a real he's a funny jokey. dude. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a jokey dude, and he writes some of my favorite comics, but it's they're all, you know, funny. Yeah. And I wasn't sure that I wanted him to do the big sci-fi Fantastic Four shit that I associate. The last dude that did a Fantastic Four run that I really loved was Jonathan Hickman. And they're and, two very different writers. And they are very different writers. Yeah. No, and, I'm, and I agree with you. I'm sensitive. That Fantastic Four run is hands down. That is up there. Top 20, top 10 stories yeah. ever. Easily best Fantastic Four shit I've ever read. It's in my hands favorite down. comics of all time yes. lists for sure. Yes. So I saw Zdarsky on it. I was a little bit nervous. But, and the thing gives this little speech at this dinner about what it means to 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 travel into the unknown and to be into science and like what the, the four of them were trying to do together and what the four of them meant to each other. And my all my fears fell away because like, oh, this dude really, really gets it. And Zdarsky is just getting better all the time. He's just, he is getting better at writing as he continues to write comics and he has a huge range that I don't know that he gets credit for because he's very, very funny, but he is also, he can plot a book and he's got his eye on the big picture and he gets these characters. Yeah, I'm a huge fucking fan of Chip Zdarsky and I love this book. The crux of this book, the the conflict in the middle of this book is that Johnny Storm is is having a little bit of a uh, an existential meltdown. He's flipping out a little bit. He's cranky that Richard and Sue are gone or Reed and Sue are gone, excuse me. And he's not showing up to the events. He's a little hard to get a hold of. Peter Parker's worried about him. He goes to Ben Grimm, the thing, like, hey, I'm worried about the human torch. Because they're bros. Because they're bros. Yeah. And he goes to the, to Ben Grimm. It's like, hey, will you, will you check up on Homeboy for me? And that's where it kind of takes us from there. I really, really dug it. And it's getting me super, super stoked for more Fantastic Oh, four. I just hope they put the team back together. You get a little Doctor Doom in this piece. We get a little Doctor Doom in this oh, one. Oh, who's, you know, Fantastic Four, right? They're one of the greatest super teams ever, we should say. And we've said it before, Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom is one, one of the greatest villains oh, of all time. Just top shelf. Love that guy. Can't yeah. wait to see more of that character in a comic book. What do you think of this book, Marcus? It's you- great. I'm just flipping through it again, like as you're talking about it. Um, I got mixed feelings about the Fantastic Four I like them, but like during the 90s, there was a lot of really not-so-great Fantastic Four when I was like first getting into comics. And they were never really superheroes that I related to because they were the science team, and I was not into science as a kid at yeah. all. Right, and they didn't really... They're not a superhero team that I kind of go with the big beats of my preference in comics. Um, but, man, I, I'll read anything Chip Zdarsky's on. I'll read anything that dude yeah. writes. And so he writes... 
uh, some pretty compelling characters in this. But um, I'm I'm interested to see if they're going to bring FF back. I think it's a m- little bit more of a business move now. I feel like they have to bring FF back um, with Disney, who owns Marvel, acquiring Fox, who owns the rights to Fantastic Four. Mm. So I think that's part of it. Um, but at the same time, uh, if it wasn't Sadarsky on this book, if they were just kind of telling this story, I don't think it would have been as good. But that dude is a master of his craft, or b- quickly becoming one. It's been fun to watch his evolution as a writer. But yeah, I think this book is totally out because Disney bought Fox. So this book was written a long time before that. that yeah, and it's that in the works. It's been in the works. We, we don't know how long that deal's been going. I will yeah, also, but they I, didn't fucking tell Chip Zdarsky about it, Marcus. No, no, they'd just be like, yo, uh, maybe you write a intro to Fantastic Four. We'll just hold it in the can. <laughs> okay. You know, it was cool to uh, see Jim Cheung on the art again, too. I really like this guy. He's done a c- couple of really cool books. I think uh, that Jim, very nice. Jim Cheung it reminds me, he's like, he's got a little bit of a JRJR JR thing going on. He's got a whiff of JRJR. JR. He totally does. He's Some, so much Sometimes better. it's a little bit more, sometimes it's a little bit of a funk. Sometimes it's a little oh, bit more. Oh, yeah, you don't feel it? Okay. Yeah. Is <laughs> he so much more palatable than JRJR? JR? I'm not going to oh, say definitely. a poor man's JRJR, because JR, no, I like please. this better than yeah, JRJR. Yeah, 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 way JR. better. John Romita Jr. is who I'm talking about yeah. here, by the way. You can uh, actually understand what his characters are doing, which is a huge bonus. No, that's huge. That's a huge bonus. He's huge. We'll say John Romita Jr. is the poor man's Jim Chung. How there about we go. Only time Thank I've you. ever like legit argued with a customer in the shop was over JRJR. I still feel bad about it because I'm going to die someday. <laughs> <laughs> so Thanks. don't feel bad about it. Just flush that right down there. So yeah. that was my pick. Marvel 2 and 1, The Thing and the Human Torch. Number 1, 2, Marvel Legacy, Fate of the Four, Part 1. Marcus? Oh, oh they're yes. the Fantastic Two. No, I get it. That's what it is. But it looks fucking dumb. <laughs> Marvel? <laughs> Did you just call me Marvel? I just called you Marvel. I'll go with it. Marvel, Marvel Schwimmer? Yes, that's me. What was your pick? Let me tell you about a series that I think goes under the radar all the time, and that is the Jim Henson, the Storyteller series. So the premise of these is they do them in little four-part chunks, and we've had they all cover a creature or race that is steeped in folklore and fantasy. So we've had dragons and giants. And now we have fairies, uh, which I find to be fascinating. So the premise of the story is there is the storyteller. This is a character from Jim Jim Henson's kind of ethos and lore. Um, is a dude. He's a dude, yeah. And his name is? The Storyteller. First name, The? Last name, Storyteller, one word. I see. Yeah, okay. absolutely. He's got a talking dog. And essentially, the dog will get into mischief or be inquisitive and then the storyteller will wrap it into a you know a, a piece of folklore about a particular mm. subject. So in this one, we're kicking off. This is the the first issue in this four part about fairies or fey folk, however you may choose to describe them. And it is combining two of my favorite things, which is folklore and Norse civilization. So in this story, we have a Norse longhouse held by one family. So essentially everyone in this guy's clan comes and lives in his longhouse. And every year around Yule... Um, around what? Yule. Yule. Okay. Um, he, That's like Festivus. It's like you're about to throw up? Or it's, or it's the historic the historic word for Christmas and what has led to Christmas. But yes, it is, Yule. The, it is the Norse holiday uh, Yule. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> What? That's what it's fucking called. What is funny? Nothing. It is a call. Um, I'm so off track right now. And during this time, he and he oh, fucking gets a shepherd. He I, th- okay. yes. Okay. And around this time, his shepherds always end up dying. 
So this hulk of a man, he is rumored that his lineage has that of giants in it, comes and he's looking for work. And he says, I will be your shepherd. No, no you can't be our shepherd. It's, it's too dangerous. And he says, no, I'm pretty much a badass. I'm going to be your shepherd. Are you sure? I'm scared Are of you nothing. you super sure? Yes, I'm scared of nothing. Probably going to die. I'm a huge badass. I'm going to be your shepherd. Okay. And You're we, hired. <laughs> thank you. And we find out that um, I'm not going to get too much into the progression of what happens after that. But uh, we find out that it is the the wheelings and dealings of the fey folk that are what is causing this clan to lose their shepherd. So you're saying like elves? Uh, They refer to themselves. It's actually my one little just tiny nerdy pet peeve about this book is they call elves uh, fairies. Um, I distinguish the two as being something totally different, but we don't need to talk about that at all. They didn't ask you first? They didn't ask me, and it's okay. You can call me Jim Henson's little group anytime. These books are always dynamite, and the best thing about them is um, each one of the four in every series is done by a different creative team. So this one is written and illustrated by Matt Smith. Not former Doctor Who Matt Smith, but comic creator Matt Smith. Different guy. Different guy, who doesn't have a ton of work out there. But, um, man, this book is dynamite. Every single one of these series is a grade A comic book series. And I love the way they do it. They play with format a lot, and they allow a bunch of different talent to get in there. And if you are not reading the Storyteller series, they're they're all ages, um, but, man, everyone should be reading them. These are some of the best comics coming out that don't have capes in them. Dig it. Jim Henson, The Storytellers, Fairies. We did it. We did it. We did our big picks. Wow. We made it through yet another round of big picks. Our big picks this week. In case you weren't listening, in case you were uh, distracted or doing the dishes while we were doing our big picks, this week they were Jim Henson's The Storyteller, Fairies, Part 1, by... Archaia. Archaia Press. X-Men Grand Design by Ed Piscor from Marvel Comics, and Marvel 2-in-1, also from Marvel Comics. Them's the picks. Those are all the picks. There are no more picks. That's all the picks you need. That's all the picks that you get. Oh, you know what I'm really excited about? Please. Go tell us. Fucking board games. You know, I'll agree. I'll back you up. You back you back me up on I'll, that one? I'll board game you up on that. I am also there with you. It's, uh, you know what I struggle with personally? Is that time to- management, <laughs> self confidence? <laughs> sure, but another thing that I struggle with, especially this time of year, because mm-hmm. it's the season for it, is the uh, commodifying of art in the t- form of top ten lists. Mm. I love a top ten list. You do. I just love it. But I'm 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 detecting a big but. But I love a good top ten list. But it's kind of lame to to rank art, mm. right? It is. It is difficult to do. It's not that difficult to do. It's super fucking easy. Well, <laughs> I'm saying I like a pool more than I like a one, two, three, four. Oh, like, here's right. a bunch yeah. of good shit, right? Yeah, but even just to classify something as like, this is the best shit. Right. You're you're automatically like, you're, you're saying that it is, there is lesser than, and it's all art. But I love a good top ten list. It's one of my favorite things about this, the end of the year shit. <laughs> I, I like tons of them. I like reading them. I like looking at them. I like then checking that shit out that I hadn't heard of. So I'm at a, it's a quandary. It's a real quandary. It's a real double-edged sword, as Marcus Schwimmer would say. 
Marcus, are you a fan of top ten lists? Yeah, I would say so. I like it when people take a take a firm firm choice. You this, know, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the best. I this like that. The, that's a that's a Marcus shit. Have some gall. Call yeah. it call it as it is. Call you it know? as it is. Yeah, there's some board games that are fucking better than other board games, and that's the it. You're like, <laughs> mm, yeah. that shit's real. Wow. I don't know what to tell you. Wow. So yeah. you don't think that maybe some maybe it's just not as good to you. Maybe it's there are some that are better to you, but maybe not for everybody else. You're saying no, fuck that. No, fuck that. I'm saying there are some bad board games. Well, that's true. You know, like and just own that. We as an industry, we need to own that. And you know, I play a lot of games. I have pretty good taste in games. So if you're gonna go with a go with someone with the top ten, why not me? You're saying go with your top ten, go but we're only gonna do a top five. We're only doing five. We're gonna to condense it, we're doing but let's do it. Let's let's do let's do our top board games of the year. Uh huh. And we'll do it in our our classic styling. We'll go around the table. If somebody has a list on their top five, if somebody has an item on their top five that popped up higher on someone else's list, then we'll just talk about it later. Mm-hmm. Does that sound good to y'all? That Absolutely. Sounds wonderful. Sounds we're gonna great. start. We're gonna start at five. Is what we're gonna do. We're right. Start at five. We're gonna Got work it. our way down. Okay. Does that sound good to you guys? Do let's, it. Can we start with Marcus? Can we start with your number five? Absolutely. Please. So my five actually came out at the tail end of 2016, Mm -hmm. but it was completely unavailable for the masses. It came out, it was the hottest shit, no one could get it, and that is Arkham Horror, the LCG, Living Card Game. What is a Living Card Game? So the idea with a Living Card Game is you get the base set, and there's a there's a full f- fully fleshed out game in there. 30 bucks, 40 30 bucks. bucks. Yeah, 30 bucks, 40 bucks. But then they're going to come out with expansion packs. It is kind of the natural evolution to the 90s t- uh, trading card game booster buying. Mm-hmm. So instead of booster buying, you're buying a little chapter pack that continues the next story. But is but is it randomized like a booster? It's not pack? randomized at all. You know exactly what you're getting. Oh. I think it is the the better version. And I only say that because I have a booster problem when we get into games that have booster packs. But I like the LCG because it allows you to, ha- everyone has the same base cards to play with. And I really, really like that. So Arkham Horror uh, is the way I'm playing it. It can either be a two-player game or it can be a four-player game. You can just add you can buy more copies. You just of get it another box. Every Correct. box Correct. is two more people. That's you can right. Play it got solo it. too. Can't you can you? totally play it solo. Yeah, but um, I just got around to playing this game a couple months you ago. Just playing Arkham Horror LCG by yourself. Your app's oh. reminding you that you're gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like sounds like a dream. Well, better play another round. <laughs> but <laughs> who knows how much time I've got left? <laughs> what I like about an LCG is it's a good game if you got one buddy who maybe you only see every once in a while. You like to board game with that person. An LCG is a really nice way to do that because normally in one or two sessions you can play through uh, the that base box, and then as you continue to see that person, you just buy a chapter pack. Yeah, like the, you, that base box got three stories in it. Exactly. If you want to play another story, it's fifteen bucks, and you got a whole evening of story to to go through. And for me, fifteen bucks for a full night of gaming, and each one of these chapter packs really is a night or two of gaming. Um, I think it's the perfect game for that person that you occasionally game with. I love the rule book is great, and I've gotten really picky on rule books this year. Yeah. This is the year of, like, rule book revelations for me. The rule book is great. Everything makes sense. It's a challenging-ass game. Like, there are scenarios where it is set up where if you lose, the game just continues. Mm-hmm. And I like that. But That's really cool. You could fail a scenario, absolutely. but you just keep moving. Exactly. You can redo it if you want, but... Totally. Yeah. And I'm not a huge fan of the Arkham Horror setting. 
of the occult. You've had enough Lovecraft. You're saying I've never Lovecraft has never really been my been my. I, I think it's cool and interesting. Yeah, but it's never really been my. You're sick of being an investigator that's got a an, revolver, right? An investigator, and a, a librarian, a small possessed child, or a spirit talker. Like these yeah. are the things you're going to be, and it's fine. But Arkham Horror is such a good game, and the story is very compelling that I had to put this on my top five list because I think we need more two player games. I think the fact that it is at its heart a two-player game, but you can expand it out, is a really great concept that more games need to get into. And this is a solid two-player game. A solid couples game. Totally. You know, the yeah. amount of couples that uh, I see coming in, buying the story packs every time a new one comes out is Did we really say it was awesome. cooperative? Yeah. Uh, no, we didn't, but it is totally cooperative. 100% cooperative. Yep. Story great elements pick. are great. Good Thank pick, you. man. It was a great game. Uh, I'll do mine. Please. My number five was Haru Ichiban. Ooh, a beautiful game. I struggle not to put this on my list. Our lists are so synced up, buddy. I love it so I much. Know, I do too. We're just like right there. So Haru Ichiban's a, another two-player game, as it happens, and it's about the you're you're competing to become the Imperial Gardener. And oh. there's a pond, and there's all these lily pads all over the pond. You want to get your flowers out onto the lily pads. Imagine if tic tac toe took place on a larger grid but the boxes you could move them around oh that's haru ichiban the rules are very very simple it's very elegant very easy to pick up the art's beautiful it's the best two-player game i've played in years no shit knock a game out in 10 minutes 10 15 15 minutes this is one i haven't got to yet but i've seen it played and boy it is beautiful it's got nice table appeal great that's for sure it's so so simple. That's what I loved about it, and it's got a lot of depth. You can. It's one of those rare games that like you learn the rules very very quickly, but you can get better at it probably over the course of years. Just like learning the skills of these very simple rules. It's the two player game I've pulled out the most this year. Same here. And uh, I'm not sick of it at all. Yep. And uh, I think when Nick and I are old men, we'll be playing this game in the park, and I'm totally okay with that. I hope so. That sounds adorable. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. Yeah. If you don't die. If we don't die, which we will. Eventually. At some point. That's my number five pick. Cool pick, man. What was your cool pick, man? My pick, man, was... <laughs> my pick, man, was Azul is my number five. Yeah. Azul. This is... You're an artisanal mason. You lay tile. You're a tile artist. Yeah. And you're trying to make this... From the Azulwejos in Portugal. I did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it's this gorgeous tiling game. You got these cool... I think they call it Bakelite pieces, these awesome, you know, not ceramic, but not plasticky either pieces of tile. They got a good feel. They got a great they feel. They got a good mouth feel, too. I put a few of them in my mouth. You did. Be careful. Swished them around. You know? You're going to die at some point. Don't don't die with but what a way to go. pieces Please in your continue. mouth. Please continue. So uh, this game is fairly new. This is maybe a November release. Something like that. October, something like this. It is very beautiful on the table. You've got like a red tile, blue tile. You've got speckled tiles. You're trying to complete rows of the same type of tile and slide them over and score points. And you get these great combos by linking up tiles. It's got a little bit of a, almost a Tetris vibe. A little bit of that. It's very, very clever. Again, simple, simple rules. You'll learn how to play in two turns. Yep. You know, twice around the table. It's got this great thing where if you grab tiles from... These little pools that are out on the board, everything else goes into the center of the board. And the first person who grabs the center pile can potentially get a whole lot of pieces and complete a whole row. But they also get a negative one point for being the person that grabs out of the center first. It This game, immediately I knew two, three turns in, I'm going to be playing a lot of this. It looks gorgeous on the table. You can get anybody to play it. But strategically, if you have gamers who... 
you know, that you play with that play a lot of games, who want meat, who want strategy. I think it's got that as well. So it's it's good for the the you know rookie gamers and experienced gamers. Is the perfect game like do you do you play games with somebody that's only ever played Ticket to Ride, somebody that's only ever played Settlers of Catan? You know, mm-hmm. this is the next game to get them. They will fall in love with this shit. Yeah, but you guys both uh, played this, right? I have not. Oh, right on. I've totally played it. Yeah, and you've played a ton of like way more meaty, crazy shit. And it still scratched this is this great itch, you Absolutely. know, mechanically. It's the same, like Haruichi Bon, it's just very elegant, very simple, yep. very deep. Good that pick. Great Azul. Pick. Yes. Plan B games, those dudes. Keep an eye out for Plan B games. They're on fire. Number four for Marcus. We're skipping. Okay. Same for you. Same for me. We're going to skip my number four. We're going to skip Marcus's number four. Because they're the same. We're going to go all the way back to Curtis. What? What my, was your number four? My number four snuck up on me. It's Ethnos. This game I played maybe six months ago. I liked it. I played another game since then, and we busted out a game night this week, and it just finally clicked. I knew What's I it about? liked What's it. What's the theme from our first game? This theme is—I guess it's you know—you've got all these mythical races, you know. So you've got trolls, you've got giants, you've got that you're like laying bands of to score points. The bigger the band, the more points. You're putting little uh, circle tablets or whatever on the board to control areas of the board. You're scoring points by controlling areas and laying out these parties of the same color or the same type. Very straightforward point scoring game. There's three ages. You shuffle these dragons into the deck so the ages could go long or they could go very quick. And then once the the age is over, no more cards are played, score it up. Yeah, ultimately it's like a hand management game. What what cards am I gonna get right now that I can use right now based on what I'm looking at right now? So things go quick. The, the turns go really, really Super fast. fast. The, the game can go really fast, or it could last probably not longer than an hour at the outside I would for think. this game, I would think. Yep. Uh, I played only the one time, and by the end of it, I was like, oh, there's something very cool going on here. E- but this kind of revealed itself to you after oh, a few plays? Oh, so you know, we played with new races because there's 12 races in the game. You only use six for the game. They're randomly determined. Each one has a special ability. Yeah. Very, very, very cool. We played with Halflings for the first time, and I just killed it with halflings never saw them before three games in you know so there's little sideboards that come out with these new uh character types or race types dope, dope it, it's dope. very very cool price points good you can get anybody to play it even though it looks a little meaty um it's uh you can get anybody to the table with this one that is ethnos give it a look wonderful and then we go back to marcus so my number three pick for this year is the rpgs of 2017 all of them. All of them. 2017 was a huge year for role-playing games. Um, and I had a hard time pinpointing just one. But I will say that if you ever thought that you wanted to get into role-playing games, but maybe fantasy isn't your genre, well, good luck. 2017 happened. So is there something... Like, can you just rattle off just a few that came out this year that Sh- caught your eye? Sure. Fate of the Nords is a indie... Um, RPG that focuses on like Viking mythology you play during the age of Ragnarok so the world is literally falling apart while you are adventuring beautiful game uh, beautiful rule system you use little uh, runes to decide what you're going to do uh, Pathfinder, which is a game that I'm not a huge fan of, came out with a sci-fi version called Starfinder, 
And let me tell you what, it is a solid, clean little sci-fi RPG, and we need more sci-fi RPGs that are not Star Trek or Star Wars. Was but, Tales from the Loop this year also? It was, and I'm, that was my third one. Oh, okay. Is Tales from the Loop. You are kids in Sweden, and it is essentially Stranger Things, the RPG. I've played it a couple times, and it is fucking a beautiful piece of storytelling. Do you attribute the like Stranger Things to the resurgence? 100%. Because so, we've had, D&D just had like an amazing year sales Crazy. Of yeah. course. Like there's just so many people are getting into, and people are, and just anecdotally, people are coming into the comic shop by the day that I have never touched a role-playing game in their life, cannot get enough Dungeons & Dragons so, right now. Yeah, I think it's two things. I think Stranger Things plays a huge role in it. And the second is, and I just read a big thing about it, is like people our age who are really into D&D are now in positions to make culture. And D&D is showing up in a lot of other things other than Stranger Things. Yeah. Books, television, movies, references, et References, yep. right. It probably so, helps that they put out an edition of D&D that's pretty accessible, too. Fifth right. edition is, like, pretty... It's the most accessible D&D yet. Yeah. So, yeah, if if you're into RPGs, if you want to get back into RPGs, 2007 has been kind to you. Please check them out. The amount of dads coming into the store and playing D&D with their kids is something that I have it's personally noticed am- in the amazing. craziest way. You know, like, I busted out my old books, and now I'm playing with my daughter or whatever. Yeah. It's wild. So, it's real. Cool, man. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. My number three <gasps> is not going to get chosen. So skip it. We're going to skip it, and we're going to go to Curtis's number three. Raiders of the North Sea. This is another Viking-themed game. You're raiders. You're making this cool party of raiders, and you're going to get, uh, you know, resources, and you're going to get workers, and you're going to go out, and you're going to take over lands and capture things, capture resources. You can kill your party members. You're just trying to get victory points. There's a lot of ways to do that, mm-hmm. and that's raiding Wait, a monastery. Wait, you're saying you have to get victory points? You do. It's a game? game where you win with the most victory points. Interesting. Okay. It's weird. The cool thing about this game is there's a lot of meat on these bones, but it's they use these great icons to explain how to play this game, and once you learn 10 icons, you know how to play this game. It takes two turns. There's a ton of options of sc- to score, and you get these great cards to build out your party, but they all have this one-time ability. You can spend your player cards and do these crazy things. I love this game. Three or four games into it, can't wait to put it on the table again. This is my most regretted pick, not pick. I didn't play this game is what I'm getting at, and I yeah. regret not playing it. I really wanted to get it to the table. Raiders of the North Sea. I uh, loved it. They have a prequel game that just came out. I can't wait to play. Shipwrights. Prequel game. We don't even have time to get into that. Let's yeah, move on. Give it a look. That was Curtis's number three pick. Yes. Now we're into the twos, the two zone. Marcus? Yes. Wait, my, wait, wait. You. No, it's it's it's, it's, it's you. Let's do you. Okay. Let's do your number two. So my number two is the Exit game series. This was my number three. It was your number three, and it's a great choice. And Curtis is a fool for not having it as his list. I didn't get to play it this year. What is the, what's the, what, Nick, what's the hottest not board game gaming thing to do right now? Um, Probably uh, barbecue and hot dogs. Not barbecue and hot dogs. It's escape rooms. Oh, you're right. And That's I number two. I've done escape rooms. They're a blast. Exit is an escape room in a box. 15 bucks. 15 bucks, one playthrough, but you get six people together. 
You get a, get a copy of Exit. There's a couple different scenarios that are out. Everyone sits down. Everyone is involved. It allows people to use their skill sets that they're good at because there are tons of different types of puzzles. And this game is an absolute blast. It is, I hate to use the phrase, a party in a box, because board games will use that shit yeah, all the time. Yeah, that's a terrible thing to it's say. It's a terrible thing. This is actually a social gathering in a box. I watched it happen. That is true. I watched this game get busted out at Thanksgiving, and every single person was having a, the table was alive for two and a half, three and a half hours. We played this at a barbecue at your house, yeah. Curtis. Yes. And there was a whole bunch of people. People would get drunk and wander off, and then other people would wander. What are you guys doing? And and everybody that interacted with this game in any way just fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. You're just solving little puzzles. A few years ago, our game of the year was Time Stories. Yep. And that is like, Exit is like all of the puzzles in Time Stories without any of the other mechanics. Just boil it down, right? Just it's strip just, all the puzzles. Because yep. Time Stories, you're just going from puzzle to puzzle, and then you do a bunch of other stuff besides. You have to go to different rooms. You have to do combat. If you stripped all the puzzles out, that's Exit. I love it. Absolutely I, one of the best yeah. things I've played this year. There's three new ones coming out really soon, and I cannot fucking wait. It's a great game series. And it's like an hour of entertainment. I think you it's it's like a hard 90 minutes. I think you can't play past 90 minutes. Like that's, right. that's the timer that's set or whatever. And you'll destroy everything in the box, which I also love about it. You have to cut shit up and write all over it and throw things in the garbage and look in the mirror and like look in your own eyes in the mirror and like think remember oh, that no. you're going to die at some point. Like there's all sorts mm-hmm. of things that the game requires you to do. That's very good. Exit. That was your number 2 pick, Marcus. That was a sweet number 2 pick. Thank you. Sweet. My number 2 pick, you ask? It was Mintworks. You love this little game. Yeah, I was surprised it didn't land on either of you guys' list. Did you just forget about it? I did forget about yeah, it. I totally you just forgot, forgot about that one. I'm biased one. against games that fit in my pocket. This is a tiny little game. It's like the size of an Altoids box. Yeah, exactly. And it's a worker placement game, and all of the workers are fucking mints. It's a great game. But they're not real mints. They I've just had, look like them. I've had people be like, yo, can I get one of those mints? Let me get some of them mints. No. no. That's my game. And it plays very, very quickly. It's like if aliens... Hmm. It's like if an alien supercomputer had to develop a board game and someone just described what a worker placement game was. Then that supercomputer built that game and added nothing else. Just like the barest most elements of what a, a, a worker placement game could be that would fit in a little mint box. Yeah, it's just pick up, put down. That's pick all you're up, doing. Pick up, put down. Yeah. Do the thing after you put it down. Yeah. And that's it. It's so fucking good. It plays very, very quickly. Rocket at a bar. Mint works. You can't get it anywhere. That's so stupid. It's completely unavailable. It'll come back. So yeah. the second or third game of this too, you you reveal these cards that like change the rules. There's these rando rules. Yeah, totally. For every game, it, this game is the shit. It's got a lot of depth yeah. for how simple it is, and it's like just a great gateway game. So Mintworks, for real, for real. Okay, now it's getting real. Now it's getting real. Number two for Curtis was also my number four, and Marcus's number four tied at four. This made. This, I think, is the only game that made all of our lists. It is. For good reason. What was it? Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven. This is a legendary game. It's all over board game. It's geek. a legacy game. It's a legacy. It's yeah. a legendary legacy game. That's what, yeah. Um, we love this game. This is this $120 Kickstarter thing. It's this massive box full of shit. If you pick this box up, you would be scared. It's a 20-pound box. Mm-hmm. Don't be scared is what we're here to tell you. This is a... RPG in a box that just functions so well. It's a legacy game, so you're going one quest to another. It's got these, your characters hold over and go with you. 
the combat system is sort of like a little it's not like, like a deck builder but it's kind a card based it's got some deck building vibes yeah We've talked about this game at length before too, so we don't have to belabor it here. But no, it it has maybe the best combat system that I've ever seen in a board game. The, it's up there. The fatigue, the way it works between the from the beginning of a dungeon to the end is perfect. Every quest we've probably done nine runs through this game. Yeah, every game was this nail biting beauty. Yep. If you like RPGs, if you think you like dungeon crawling games, this will. You won't play many others after you play Gloomhaven. For sure. This will go to the top of your list. So, yep. And it's finally going to be pretty available come really, really early soon. January. So, And for the amount of stuff in there, it's very expensive, but it's worth it. You're never going to do all of the things that no, this game has never. to offer. There's just no fucking You play way. it for five years nonstop. I was thinking about it the other day. I, was, I really miss this game. I do want to dive back into it. I thought I was done with it. We played a bunch of games in a row, and I thought I was like, okay, I get what you're doing, Gloomhaven. But the other day, it struck me. I was like, I could go for some fucking It's pretty tasty. That sounds awesome. Cool, that's your... Number uh, deuce. Num- number two. We're in the number ones. Here we go. My number one? Is my number one. Marcus's uh, number one? It's Kingdom Death. It is Kingdom Death, and I feel like a schmuck putting it on my number I one. I am Why? shocked. I am because shocked. Because it's a $500 game. It's a... Well, if you got it to the Kickstarter, it's like two fifty. It's a five hundred dollar game retail. It's a very, so I very expensive. it is the best game I have ever played. Get out it's of town! Fucking a piece of art. Yeah, it is a the storytelling is amazing. The miniatures are amazing. Preach everything about this game is just everything I've wanted in a board game, and it's brutal. Yeah, it'll fucking tear you down, but then it'll build you back up, and I like that. It is a great, amazing game. I feel like a schmuck because. Not many people can. It it is a single man's luxury <laughs> to buy this game. Yo, I am that single man. I know. Yeah. And I did that. It's like Locked. a boat. You don't want to own a boat. You want your friend to own a boat. It's yeah. the same thing with Kingdom Death. That being said, <laughs> this game hits all the beats. And it's unlike any game I've played before. I've played more of it than any game before other than like Catan. Yep. It is a fucking masterpiece. It will go down in history as one of the best board games it's going to change board games it's going to bring in this market of vip luxury board games holy shit we're going to see it we're going to continue to see it because these dudes made a great game they made a ton of money on it they made a luxury fucking game that doesn't make any sense and it is going to usher in a wave of luxury games so i've been i have been selling board games for uh, 10 years yes at this point I, and I you got to play a lot of board games, like so many. There's just no way around it. I have I've had to play many, many, many board games over the course of my life, and o- over time, I don't really want to play the same game many times. I want to play. I know this about you. I want to play. If I play it once, it's. I hope that it catches my attention because if it catches my attention, I'm gonna play it two more times, and that's probably it. Like I don't buy a lot of board games because there's not a lot of point. I'm not just not gonna play the same shit. There's more shit that you gotta play because right. there's always new shit this coming out. This is your out. job. It's three new games a week. Yes. Five new games this a week. This is the luxury of what we do. We have access to all of these games. I've played Kingdom Death thirty times. That's insane. Right? Isn't that the math? Something. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty times. So I don't think I've ever played a game that many times, and it's all I want to play. I don't want to play anything else right now until you. we finish this campaign of Kingdom Death. It's, and we're halfway done. And we and we just realized the other day we're fucking halfway done. And I'm so stoked. 30 games in, you're at the 50% point. Yeah, because we started over at one point. Wow. I won't bore you with all the details, even though I would love to bore you with all of the details. Nick and I are going to do a podcast episode. I've just made this decision. Okay. We're going to do an auxiliary episode at some point where we just talk about Kingdom Death for probably when we finish. 
just tell the story. We're just gonna of tell the settlement. story of our settlement. That's a and we're gonna talk idea. about Kingdom Death in in great detail. Yeah. So um, it's a masterpiece. It's it's the best it's the best game I've played this year. It's easily it's probably one of the best games I've ever played. Agreed, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It is a brutal game. I've played a couple sessions with you guys. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Curtis, what was your number one game My of 2017? It was definitely Near and Far. Mm. This is Ryan Laukit. He has done other games above and below uh, and others. Holy shit. So this is essentially like, it's. I, I think it's an RPG. I think it's a sh- kind of stripped down, easygoing, party building adventure game that if you wanted to get kind of families into an adventure game, this is a game I would show them. It's like you think you might want to someday play an RPG. Maybe. Maybe check this out, see if it does anything for you. Yes. Mechanically, it just checks so many boxes. I love to play this game. This The beginning phase of this game is build your party, and then it's take them out and go adventuring. There's a dozen adventures to go on. It's got this great map book. There's all these little stories that you find as you go out and adventure in the world, and then the player to your left opens up the storybook and reads you a story. Yeah. Holy shit. I've played it half a dozen times at least. I love it so much. It's the game I always want to play. It's definitely, there was a lot of good stuff this year. Yeah. That is hands down my favorite game, Near and Far. It's finally Remarkable. available to get it. Check it out. Number one. Didn't even make our top five, Near and Far. Didn't even make my. It's a good game, though. I played it. It's a good it's game. It's a good game. Like it's it. a good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know you guys didn't, you guys didn't, um, it didn't take as I hard. Think it, I think it's it, Older it Brother Above and Below. I think that's what it was. Is a, a better version of this game, but. If you haven't played Above and Below, I think Near also and Far a great is, is great. If you yeah. if you haven't played either one of them, play Near and Far every single time. I, I agree with I that. Say, yes, I say dive in. It's more meat on them bones. It. Yeah, I agree. But having played Above and Below, hard to make the comparison. Anyway, I could go on and on, but those are our top five games. There Good job, go. guys. Per man, we did. Happy Good 2017 board gaming. Hey, I'm not going to be here next year, but Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, and Happy Holidays. You're not going to be here both. next year. The whole year. I'm not going to. I'm taking 2018 off. Did taking a bye year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of here because my phone keeps telling me I'm going to die. Yeah, there you go. So I'm going to fuck off for one year. You probably should. Yeah. You're going to die. Yeah. Uh, thank you both very much. Thank and you. And thank you for listening. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull Show on iTunes and Stitcher if you would. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and our website, Super Skull Show, is how you find us. Super Skull Show is brought to you by Vault of Midnight. It's Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Wybar. I'm Marcus Schwimmer. And I'm Curtis Sullivan. And we wish you very good reading and board game playing. Until next week. And that guy's just the storyteller. Mm-hmm. First name. name story, last name teller, mm-hmm. or one word storyteller like Prince. Got it. Make sure that you uh, make sure that you mention that first name story, last name teller, so I can like reintroduce that joke. Okay. For a second time. Okay. Got it. Got it. Very organically. But, oh sure, it's gonna fall right out of my hole. And then we can save this part for the end of the podcast. Yeah, totally. So people can hear how the sausage is made. <laughs> That's what they want.